0: Genesis chapter 50, please. If you'd open your Bibles there, Genesis chapter 50. You've heard of Rocky part one, Rocky part two, Rocky part three, four, five. I think there's a sixth one now too. This is Jerry part two, or Joseph part two. I mentioned last Sunday morning I would share some stories today that relate to young people and children, since I did older folks last week. Uh, high school, one of the things you have to do is to uh, teach praises. Do you ever do a praisee? Uh, praisee is when you take a long paragraph and you have to shorten it so you don't miss any of the salient points to make sure you've covered the what, the who, the why, the where, all those good things. And so they were, the high school class was doing praises and the teacher said, you know, it's one thing to be able to shorten a paragraph to get the salient points, but unless you have uh, the kind of title that will attract their attention, they will not read the article. So our assignment for tomorrow is to uh, come up with a three-word title. Only three words in your title. So that when we hear the title, you would say, I want to read more. And so the next day came an English class, and uh, she chose various titles. She said, now, I want to share the three best ones. So that when, when, I, when I hear this title, I, I, I want to read the story. The first one was Fidel Castro assassinated. How many want to read that? Two of you. (laughs) Uh, The next one was Queen Elizabeth Abdicates. How many want to read that? A few more. But I agree with her when she chose the third one as the best one. The Pope Elopes. (laughs) How many want to read that? (laughs) I'm first on the list at elementary school, they have what they call show and tell. Most of us have been there, done that. And so in this uh, grade one class, uh, show and tell, and so again, the teacher said, Now I want you to be thinking about something that you can show us tomorrow immediately will tell us a lot about your religion and what you believe. And so again, a pluralistic world, pluralistic class. And so the next day, uh, Little Michael raised his hand. He said, yes, Michael. He said, I'm Roman Catholic, and this is a crucifix. Michael, very good. Exactly. When I think of Roman Catholic, and I think of a crucifix. Excellent. Hannah raised her hand. Hannah? Uh, Hannah said, I'm Jewish. This is the star of David. Hannah? Very, very good. Wonderful. Right on. Billy raised his hand. And Billy is a Baptist. Okay? And Billy, what did you bring? He said, well, I'm a Baptist. This is a casserole dish. (laughs) Been there, done that, right? Genesis chapter 50. Uh, We need to have a quick review, chapter 45. Oh, the story of Joseph, an amazing story in the Bible. and There's so much for us, so much we can apply to our lives. A man who grew up as a privileged child, and yet in a dysfunctional family. His dad had four wives. He would have 11 brothers. Talk about a blended family. This was a blended family. And it was a daily blended family. You would have one sister. Uh, I'm just curious, can anyone name his sister? Joseph's sister is? Very good, Dinah. You win the prize. Except there's no prize. <laughs> okay, Dinah is the one girl in the family. Uh, Joseph shares some dreams along the way, and, and you know the story well, and uh, his brothers despise him, and the time will come, a very, very painful experience, from a privileged childhood where they plot to kill him. He is placed in the pit, sold as a slave, ends up in Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife uh, lies about him. He is then put in prison, and really 20 years will go by. From the age of 17, he's now in his late 30s. Along the way, Joseph learns a lot about God. Practically, experientially. So that he can see God in his life. Can you see God in your life? Can you look back over the years and say, I can see God. I can see God at work. I can see that God has the big picture in mind. And I've learned to trust him. I can see God. Not only could God, excuse me, Joseph see God in his life, he also looked for good, and he found it. I'm going to read about that today in chapter 50. Beginning of verse 50, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, this is Jacob, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? This is human nature, isn't it? Tit for tat, Eye for an eye, retaliation. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive, keyword. your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father, When their message came to him, Joseph wept. In fact, if you examine the scriptures, you find that seven times this man weeps. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for? What's the word? Good. There's our key word today. Joseph looked for good, and he found it. Intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done—the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph now wants to be a blessing. Are we? A, are we a blessing? Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Maker, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. He would see his great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God will do this. And once again, he could see God. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, as did Joshua. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that your word is very much alive to us because you are alive. Father, we have come today to hear from heaven. What will God say to us through his word? We thank you for the worship that has preceded the songs that were sung. Pastor Steve leading us in worship. We thank you for that. And now, Father, may the Spirit of God have freedom in this place. Would Satan and his demons be bound so that they cannot do their work. So that the Spirit of God is able to do what he wants to do in this hour, that you would speak to hearts, that you would meet needs, that you would challenge our thinking, that you would have your way. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was in the foyer of West Park Church in London. One of my men came through the doors and approached me and said, Pastor, you need to sit down. I said, why do I need to sit down? The news I'm going to tell you, you need to sit down. I sat down. He said, this is hard to believe. His name is Steve. Steve, a dynamic young man, knew him from teenage years. Dave Westlake, you probably know the name here. I met his brother last Sunday. They were in a gospel trio. Steve had a vibrant ministry for God. Loved by all, gifted musically, talent flowing out of his life, and this is what he told me. Steve is presently in jail in Guelph, Ontario. Steve is guilty of robbing four banks. I said, come again. You mean, you mean Steve, our Steve? Our Steve. Are you sure that, that he's the man? I contacted his father in law. We made our way to Guelph. It was Steve. You say, Jerry, how can this happen in a believer's life? Uh, Here's a young man serving God, dedicating his life to the Lord, a, a music ministry that is known throughout Ontario, robbing banks. There's more to that story. I'll tell you the rest of that story at the end. So stay with me, okay? Take your outline in your bulletin. I think there are four main lessons we need to learn today from Genesis chapter 50. The first lesson actually is found in the very beginning in verse 15. As believers, we need to give up the fleshly right of retaliation. We read here When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Let me illustrate this morning. Uh, Last week we had a jigsaw puzzle, today I'm going to use John. John can clean up quite nicely, can't he? But you know there's something about John that I know, and probably you know too, because we're all guilty of this one thing. I mean, I'm guilty of it, you're guilty of it, and John's guilty too. In fact, if I were to come over here... Now, I I have a size 14 shoe. Anybody match that here today? Good foundation, right? I'm a farm kid. That's why my feet grew like that, I guess. But suppose now, with my 14 shoe, I approach Pastor John and I give him a good kick. I mean, as hard as I can, and I kick him in the leg. I want you to tell me what will be the natural inclination of John toward Jerry. I want you to tell me. They know you, don't they? They said, you're going to kick me back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said, give me the other, the other knee. Yeah. I, I want you to open your Bibles. Uh, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. In fact, I have to read this passage every year because I have a sinful nature like you do. And basically, that's our problem, is that we all have a sin nature. And it's Christ who makes a difference in our lives. Now, let me ask you a question. Does Christ remove the sin nature when we become believers? Yes or no? Talk to me. No. Until the day I die, I have a sin nature. Remember, you know, when I was president of the college, we had Dr. Lehman Strauss come every year of the, of the world. And he would always uh, present, you know, the word, fantastic messages from the word of God. And I remember driving me to the airport one day, and I said, Dr. Strauss, uh, and he's in his 70s at that time, okay. And I said, Dr. Strauss, help me here now. Does it not get easier the longer we live for God? I mean, the closer you are to to going home to be with the Lord, is it not easier when it comes to the sin nature? And he disappointed me that day. Know what he said to me? It's not easier. And now I'm I'm 71, okay? And I appreciate what he had to say. I still struggle to this very day with my sin nature, right? And this is what we, we are reading in the book of Genesis. We're talking here about... Uh, How will Joseph deal now with his brothers when, when daddy's dead? Will he retaliate? Do we retaliate? Is it eye for an eye? Is it tooth for a tooth? Romans chapter 12. Beginning in verse 9, and again, I read this every year as a reminder to myself. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now watch. Bless those who persecute you. In fact, John responded well when he said, bless you. Right? Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with? How many? Talk to me. Everyone. Everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repace the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It was hard for me to convince the men of Ross Bible Church Port here in Michigan the action that we should take. Remember, 10 years ago, the pastor walked out on a Sunday, Mother's Day, Sunday morning, with half the congregation, about 300 people. Five years would go by and then because uh, some people didn't like what the pastor was doing and some things that were going on, 11 men went to the platform and said, Pastor, you're done. I said to the men, folks, unless we do something maybe even dramatic here, you will not be able to heal. There is still hurt in this body and you are still holding on to all these hurts you have this baggage spiritual baggage God can't bless you can't grow here's what we did I said I want us to bring back these two men in fact, we contacted Mike in California. He was now pastoring in Southern California. I said, Mike, uh, Jerry from Ross Bible Church, we want to invite you back with your family so we can complete something here. We've got to close the chapter. Because we can't move on, and we're asking you to help us move on. They had no farewell for him. That Sunday morning, he was done, period. I contacted Peter. It was Peter 10 years ago walked out with half a congregation. Peter, we're going to do something interesting and we're asking you to to cooperate with us here. On the day we're doing this with Mike in the morning, we're asking you to come on Sunday night and we're asking you to bring the congregation with you that you walked out of Ross with. One of the men said, boy, Jerry, this is kind of radical, isn't it? I said, "Well, maybe it's biblical, though. What do you think?" To make things right, he said, "You know, you're right." He said, "Let's put something in the in the in the Port Huron newspaper, and we put an ad there." And the ad in bold print was "Reconciliation Sunday" at Ross Bible Church, and then it told what we we're doing on that day. Remember I said this was the church that stopped having the Lord's table for a period of time. I said, here's what I want us to do that day. I want us to have the Lord's table morning and evening. Okay. My wife and I saw something happen that day I had never seen happen before. All my years of ministry. As we're having the Lord's table, and and you've, you've heard of this being said, but I had never seen any results from it. So I said, if there's anyone here this morning, you know that things are not right between you and another believer. While our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, while they're worshiping our God, I want you to stand up from where you are. I want you to approach that person in this auditorium. I want you to go to that person, and I want you to make it right. And the Spirit of God was at work. People all over the place were getting up. They were going to one another. That was in the morning, and that was in the evening. People who still uh, despised, hated Peter, the one who left ten years ago with half the congregation, they they hated this man because he destroyed their church, they felt. They were going over to Peter saying, I want you to forgive me. I've hated you for 10 years. And so on that day and that morning, Mike spoke in the morning. Peter spoke in the evening. His congregation joined with our congregation. Today, they're sister churches. Rather than enemies of each other, they're cooperating together under the cross of Christ. As believers, here's my point we need to give up the fleshly right of retaliation. Number two, as believers, we need to learn the value of forgiveness. And so we read again Genesis chapter 50. Let's be reminded of the text. So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions. Before he died, this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Uh, we need to turn to Matthew chapter 18. You know the passage well, but let's turn there. Matthew 18. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. we know quite well the part about going to another person and and you know the passage. I want you to start in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Uh, the Greek rendering does not help us there. We we either know it's 77 or 70 times 7. And we're just not sure. But, but either way, it's a big number, correct? You see, the scribes and Pharisees taught the people, all you need to do is forgive three times, and you're done forgiving. This was their mindset. In other words, you do something to me uh, three times, i got to forgive you. You do it the fourth time. Sorry, buddy, you're done. No more forgiveness. Tough luck. That was the Jewish mindset. And so Peter now, being very noble and probably expecting praise from Christ, says, uh, should we do it seven times? I think he expected commendation. Because he went beyond law. Law said three times. He went beyond law. And Christ had to teach Peter something that day as he teaches us. Law says you forgive three times. Grace says what? There's no limit. <laughs> Isn't that great? There's no limit under grace. Sorry. Sorry. Stop collecting them. Stop adding them up. There's no limit. We keep on forgiving. I recently recently saw a DVD recounting the deaths of the three believers in Turkey. Maybe you've seen that one. I'm not sure. 2007, just two years ago now, you probably remember the story, three Christian men were killed by some Muslim extremists. The thing I got from that video above everything else was this. They were interviewing the wives of these men and they were sharing their story and and one of the wives made this comment. I've come to a place in my life where I have forgiven the men who did this to my husband. Then she made this comment. In Islam, they don't understand forgiveness. There's no forgiveness in Islam. I didn't know that. In fact, they see forgiveness as weakness. We see forgiveness as what? Strength, don't we? As a virtue. As something to, to, to do, and something to gain for our lives, where they see it as weakness. And so the testimony of these wives now in Turkey is amazing because they're willing to forgive these who killed their husbands. Let me share a little interesting fact here also about Turkey. A cradle of Christianity, right? Paul Missionary Journeys, Ephesus, uh, Colossae, Seven Churches of Revelation, uh, all these things in Turkey, Asia Minor. Today, there are over 70 million people living in Turkey. I think it's around 73 million. How many believers do you think there are in Turkey today? 2,000 years after the church was planted there by the Apostle Paul himself. You know, it's only 3,000. The facts they gave in that DVD, 3,000 believers. Out of 73 million, 73 million people, 3,000 born-again Christians. And so the testimony of these, these wives are having an impact forgiveness number three God wants us to look for good in the situations of life back in Genesis chapter 50 please and we read uh, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him verse 18 we are slaves they said but Joseph said to them don't be afraid am I in the place of God isn't that great you intended to harm me, but God intended it for, what's the word? Good. not that amazing? I mean, the events of life, the disappointments, the hurts, the trials, and we've all got them. We've all got them. Is it possible that God wants to use these things in our lives to bring good? Uh, Turn with me to Psalm uh, 31. Uh, this This is quite an amazing verse, I think. If you understand, you let me know what it means. I'm not quite sure yet. I know what it means. In Psalm 31, it's one of those amazing verses. You read it and think, what does God mean by that? So, Psalm 31, verse 19. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Isn't that great? Somehow, God has this this bank of goodness and God says, I've got all this goodness stored up and I'm ready to pour it out in your life. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, God. I needed that. I, I I need that. I need to know that you know what I'm going through. I need to know that you understand. I need to know that you have the big picture in sight. And if we learn anything at all about Joseph's life, God is Sovereign. Here's something else I've learned along the way. All of us inherit all kinds of things from family, appearance, um, mental capacity, all kinds of things we inherit. It's a factor in all of our lives, our genes. Then, of course, there's, there's environment, right? And uh, I've heard debates on uh, which you think, Jerry, has greater influence. Is, is it environment? Is it heredity? Which is it? I don't think it's either one. I don't think that's the bottom line yet. I think what the bottom line is. I think the bottom line is choices. You know, in, in light of what we inherit from our family, in light of my environment that, and, and how I'm reared, uh, it's the choices I make in life. Right? It really is. We're all making choices. Joseph made some deliberate choices through those years. He chose to see God. He chose to look for good. Just a couple weeks ago now, we were in Kentucky... We actually took our our two grandsons down to Creation Museum, and you need to go. It's worth it. It really is. It will strengthen your faith. It will help your kids, grandkids. It's a worthy venture. While we were there, we contacted a a man who I I taught years ago at Tennessee Temple University in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we've been friends for the years. Uh, Let me just tell you a little bit about Bruce and Nancy. Uh, their story. Uh, Bruce and Nancy again love God. Uh, They met at Christian University. God blessed them with two children. In fact, I still remember going to the hospital when their firstborn son, Joel, was born, and I prayed with them. I just went there as a a prof and knew the family. Bruce, um, a number of years will pass, In fact, eight years will pass. Uh, Bruce is now principal of Christian Day School in Birmingham, Alabama. Nancy, his wife, is having some health issues. Nancy's in the hospital in Birmingham. And so uh, Bruce's mother, from the Chicago area, goes to stay with the family, look after young Joel and Meredith, while Nancy's in the hospital. Joel comes home from school that day and has a fever and uh, they think that he might be coming down with the flu or something and uh, so they recommend that he get a bath. Bruce goes to the hospital to see his wife. Bruce's mom is at home with Joel and Meredith. Joel's in the bathtub by himself and of course boy being a boy, privacy, all those things. And she hears the bathtub running and running and running and she thinks, i better go in. She goes, what's wrong here? What's going on? Joel, who was not well, apparently fainted and drowned in his bathtub. You know, you always ask the question, God, where were you? Lord, do you understand the hurt and pain? God, can can, can you help us through this time? It's interesting because uh, Bruce Peters is now a writer. Uh, He's had his first book published. And he's writing the story of Joel. He's finally at that place in life. Where he feels he can write the story. It's the story really of God's goodness, of how God can take things like this. I should mention too that Bruce's mother would never forgive herself for what happened. Uh, she's with the Lord now, but we all believe that probably she died earlier than normally she would because of the pain that would stay with her because she was in care of her grandson when he drowned. God delights to take these things in life and from them bring good to his glory. Number four, like Joseph, we need to live lives of blessing, not cursing. Uh, We read again in Genesis chapter 50, Uh, Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I here in the place of God? You intend to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt long with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation and, and so on. I believe our world is waiting to see. People who live their faith. Right? Who live their faith. Uh, God wants us to be lives of blessing to others. Already some of you have ministered to me today as I've, I've met you, talked to you. You've shared with me what God's doing in your life. Thank you for sharing with me. You've been a blessing to me today. My goal is to be a blessing to you. Where's Pastor Steve? Oh, hi, Steve. We've not really formally met. Zambia, Liz and I've been there. In fact, Enshima, uh, Javan Shima, Enshima in, in, in the morning, Enshima at noon, Enshima at night. That's their diet, folks. Uh, some kind of a, what, a ground cornmeal, some kind. And in the morning it's thick, at noon it's thinner, evening it's much thinner, and uh, this is their diet. No, yeah, really, it's amazing. And uh, they're not there right now, but but David and Colleen Hunt, missionaries for a number of years in Zambia, great ministry there. God bless them and use them. And I'm going to tell you this story about, about uh, Harry and Larry, okay? David's dad, Harry Hunt. Harry didn't come to Christ until after he was married, his wife prayed for him, I worked for Bell Canada for oodles of years, came to Christ and became Mr. Boy's Brigade in London. I mean, this man basically ran Boy's Brigade. Uh, this was his passion. This was his, his compassion. Okay. And uh, Harry raised a family of five to live for God. His youngest son, David, has served a number of years in Zambia. I had the privilege of, of uh, com- uh, conducting the service for, for Harry. Within days, Larry died. I just want to give the contrast between Harry and Larry. Uh, Larry had attended our church uh, infrequently in fact, it was only on a few special occasions, when his second wife, who was a believer, convinced him to come. Larry lived for horses and cars. That was his life. Whatever he did on the side, always horses, always cars. He had no time for the things of God. I still remember that week when I got a phone call from his wife, who is a believer. She said, Jerry, uh, I'm not sure Larry's going to make it, but uh, he's in the hospital. You, you've visited him before when he's been in the hospital. Uh, would you please go and see him? And so it was Friday afternoon. I had my Bible with me, and I always try to carry a copy of Knowing God personally. I sat down beside Larry's hospital bed, University Hospital in London. I said, Larry, it's not that you don't know the message because you do. It's not that you don't know how to trust God because you do. You know. You've heard it so many times. You and I have talked on many occasions. But Larry, I, I want us to go through this gospel tract again, knowing God personally. Would, would you allow me to do that? I said, yes. On Friday afternoon, Larry said yes to God. I'd never done this before. But he did pray. He asked Christ to be his savior. I said, Larry, you've you've just made the most important decision in your entire lifetime. Uh, We're we're now brothers in the Lord. This was Friday afternoon. By Sunday, Larry died. Again, I got a phone call. We conduct the service. I'll gladly do that. But then I got a second phone call just a few minutes later. It was one of Larry's sons. Larry had four boys. Their whole life was horses and cars. That's all they lived for, that's all they thought about. His son called me. He said, I know I've never met you, but I want you to know I'm angry. Did you know my dad was dying? I said I knew he was very ill but I, I didn't know how near death he was. You know that, that, that my stepmother never even called me. You see, his son and Larry had not spoken for seven years. Whatever falling out they had he said, if I knew that my dad was dying, I, I, I would have been in the hospital beside him in that, that bed, and, and I would have said, Dad, please forgive me, and, and let's make this thing right. He said, no, I, I can't do that. I said, well, here's what encouragement I can offer you. I can, I can let you know what your dad did on Friday. Your dad asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. Guess Christ to come in, it's hard. I said, I think that could make the biggest difference in your life if you would do that. And he hung up the phone. He didn't want to hear that. It's interesting, isn't it? Within days, I had two funerals. Harry, Larry. One was a life of blessing. One was just a life of basic cursing. Joseph's life, it says right here, was one of blessing. And really, it's either or, isn't it? Either your life is one of, of, of a blessing to, to family, a blessing to friends, a blessing to the world in which God has placed you, or your life without Christ is life of cursing. It's not complicated. And this morning, I, w- I want to share with you the good news. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ, as the service ends the day, I'll be sitting in this front pew down here. Would you please come by? Sit down with me. I'll give you one of these booklets. They're free. I want to share Jesus Christ with you. So you can have a life of blessing and be a blessing. Steve's father-in-law and I made our way to Guelph. Steve was ashamed to see us. I said, Steve, we're here because we love you. And we're here to tell you we forgive you. I said, first of all, are you right with your God? That's where you start. He said, I've asked God to forgive me. Then you need to go to your family. Secondly, be right with your family. Your father-in-law is right beside you here. That I'm asking you to become right also with, your, with our church, West Park. I will make a long story fairly short here because I, I want to I show you that God is in the restoration business, God is out to reclaim lives, God is out to redeem individuals. And he delights in doing all that. And so immediately we'd be in a process. I had no idea where this process would would go. In fact, I had an older couple in the congregation. His name was Dave. And Dave came to me. And he said, Jerry, we need to vote Steve out of our membership and exclude him from our fellowship. I said, Dave, Steve is willing to do everything we've asked him to do. Steve is right with God. He's right with his family. And he's going to stand before us in a few days before he's sentenced. And he wants to be right with our, our, our body here of believers. He said, if you do that, he said, then you need to know that my wife and I are going to leave this church. And they did. For shame. For shame. They had been there a great number of years. Folks, where is restoration? Where's where's reclaiming individuals for God, right? Is that this not what the church is about? Are we not here to redeem through the grace of God? Are we not here to restore by the grace of God? Are we not here to reclaim by the grace of God? Steve would serve time in Kingston. This is true. I remember going my first time to visit him in prison in Kingston. I walked into that jail cell that day, and I felt I was in the presence of God. It was absolutely amazing. Steve was so in fellowship with God and growing in God's grace through that that whole situation. But to me, that's Christianity. Christianity. Christianity is restoring and reclaiming individuals. I don't care today what your sin is. I don't care how far you've fallen. I want you to know today that there's a God who loves you. There's a God who's ready to restore you. And a God who's ready to reclaim you and forgive you. That's right. And now for the rest of the story. Steve served a period of time in Kingston. Came time for release. I said, folks of West Park, this is a great opportunity for us to restore a fallen brother. It was gradual. We never made him church treasurer. (laughs) But would you believe he became a deacon? of West Park Church, a deacon. Would you believe he was restored to his singing ministry, which I think with greater power than before, and we're still not done? This is a, a great story. Would you believe today, Steve is one of the pastors of West Park Baptist Church? Isn't that awesome? That's how the body of Christ operates, folks. This is how Christianity works, right? Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph. A man who could have been very bitter. A man who could have lived his life with all kinds of anger. A man who could have been full of malice. but, Father, a man that met God and could see God. A man who discovered good, found good, and lived it. A man who learned to forgive. A man who did not retaliate. A man who became a blessing to so many. And still to this day, Joseph is a blessing to all of us as we look at his life. Father, we pray for each one of us here this morning. We can learn so much from this individual. I trust the Spirit of God has used the Word of God to help us and encourage us. You love to restore hurting churches to health, to restore hurting lives to health, and you want to restore us. Anyone here this morning, Father, struggling with sin, anyone who is here this morning has fallen but needs to be restored and can be restored today. Thank you, Father, for being our God. Thank you for meeting with us here this morning. You have given us listening ears. May we put into practice what we've heard. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.